Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So, what's your opinion? Do you believe that long-range shooting, long-range hunting, is ethical or unethical? I bet that you haven't actually given much thought to why you believe what you believe. So that's why I wanted to have Aaron Davidson on. Aaron Davidson is the founder of Gunworks. And Gunworks specializes in long-range shooting, long-range hunting, essentially going after the perfect kill shot. So, who better to get an opinion about whether long-range shooting and hunting is actually ethical? So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I got word that you're like, uh, I heard you were a technologically savvy individual. It took you forever. I am. To I, just a... did, I just didn't freaking get that freaking fix first. <laughs> I just got a bunch of sick stuff today. Jeez, it's a rat racing here. All right, that looks better. But you got your microphone dialed. Don't worry about the what's in the right, background. Come on, man. It's all okay, good. Okay, there we go. It's all good. Aaron Davidson, how's Cody Wyoming today? 30 degrees and rising. Oh my gosh. Is that, that's warm for you guys, right? This time of the year? Uh, you know, usually we're a lot more mild than this year has been. Uh, usually we can expect 40 to 50 degrees most of the time in the winter. And then periods of absolute misery. But then it'll warm back up. But it's just been pretty freaking cold lately. I was in Boston yesterday and... Uh... It was snowing. I left beautiful Memphis, Tennessee of a balmy 65 degree spring day. So I am not built for the, the, the latitudes that you live in, unfortunately. I, we, were, we had a discussion at lunch today about the, what's the ideal temperature. And I actually like 45 to 65. Mm. That's jacket weather, but not coat weather. Mm. I like that range of temperature. I like that yeah. too. 
aren't you born and raised in Cody, Wyoming? Why Cody, Wyoming? I was born in Powell. That's about 30 miles to the east. But grew up with, my folks moved around a bit when I was growing up. Grew up in uh, some big city, Utah, uh, while dad was in school, and then kind of moved our way back here when I was uh, just about a teenager. But but raised in the West, essentially. That is your your stomping grounds. Yeah, absolutely. Raised a hunter as well? Not really. Um, um, Myself and my brother, Mike, uh, we kind of... uh, Learned to hunt on our own. Uh, Dad bought us a Marlin thirty thirty when I was about fourteen, and we started hunting deer, and it kind of got out of hand from there. <laughs> Is there a reason why your dad didn't hunt? Um, he he went a couple times. You know, he he's, he told me about this one time he went out with uh uh one of his peers and they ended up sleeping under a tree all night chasing elk and he's like you know what never doing this again yeah that's not me he was always so busy making a living when we were growing up that i just don't think that there just wasn't a lot of time for recreation that wasn't a part of you know family trips or etc so you obviously have had the hunting bug bite you, you and your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I said Aaron Davidson, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast in the beginning, but nobody's like, who the hell is Aaron Davidson? Um, Aaron, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly? Sure. Uh, uh, I am the founder of Gunworks, and we produce high-end hunting rifle systems. You... Um, you have kids, Aaron? Married Six. kids? Six kids. Six. Three grandkids. Aaron, let's, listen, I thought, I, I, I knew you were a better man than me, but now you are definitely a better man than me. Six kids. I, I had to quit at two. Well, let me, let me tell you what happened. I went <laughs> to college. I went to college in Laramie. Okay. Laramie's at like 7,500 feet elevation between two like little mountain ranges. So it's cold and snowy and not a lot to do in the winter and so except make kids yep except make kids <laughs> i graduated from from college with five kids we had a set of twins Dude. there that kind of accelerated the number but we uh we started pretty early wowza so they're all out of the house by now last one is a senior graduating in two months holy smokes are you guys ready to be empty nesters I don't think so. I, uh, I've spent so much time working over the last two decades. I'm not really sure if my wife and I are friends. I guess we'll mm. have to find out. Mm. You sort of followed in your dad's footsteps then, huh? A little bit. Too much. Yeah, it's sort of the, the thing that you have to cope with the most, right, is understanding balance. My dad, I, it sounds like, is exactly the same as your dad, which was a, you, you didn't see him in the morning, he was gone, and he came home at 8 p.m. at night, and if you needed something from him, you knew you poured him a, a, a triple-fingered whiskey with some ice, <laughs> let him have that whiskey, and then, Dad, and then I need ask. a check for <laughs> some school supplies, you know? So, Aaron, is it a fair statement? Would, would, you, or would you say that Gunworks is almost the... And I wrote this in an email this morning just to sort of prep for this. I, I'm not familiar with the long-range gun game but I almost feel like Gunworks is almost the grandfather of long-range hunting. Is that a fair statement, or was there someone before you? As fast as the industry changes, if I look back, you know, 18 years, boy, it feels like it it could be grandpa for sure. I Obviously, I didn't come up with the idea of long-range shooting. In fact, I've got some pretty fun stories to share about long-range shooting and, and, and things that inspired me to, to get into the game, so to speak, and to essentially dedicate my life to this were stories of people that came before me that, were, that would take long shots. I mean, go back 60, 70 years and look at Elmer Keith. Yeah. You know, go back a little bit further than that and look at the 
the biggest, you know, stone sheep that's ever been killed in the history of mankind that is, you know, one of the most touted and prized um, record book entries by Boone and Crockett was the Chadwick Ram. That's right. And and that was a messy bit of shooting that went on to get that ram killed at a very long distance. Now, obviously, that wasn't very inspiring, other than to realize that regardless of regardless of the uh, technology that one applies, the hunter mm-hmm. is going to take the shot. Uh-huh. Like, there's that... Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think... Because you're almost opening the Pandora's box before I let you, but hell, let's just open it right now. Why do you think in today's society, maybe you're even speaking 18 years ago, 25 years ago, why does the hunter feel like he has to take the shot? Well, here's the first thing. I don't read minds. I don't know about anybody else. I can talk about myself for sure and maybe some people that have shared stories with me but i think i think everyone goes to the field with a different motivation so what and is your motivation when you go to the field if you can only speak for yourself and you don't read minds well i'm going to have to preface this i'm an engineer my job is to solve problems and to make things efficient okay like, why do I go to the field? Well, I'm going to shoot something to put meat in the freezer or horns on the wall. Like, I go to the field to be successful. Uh-huh. Period. Uh-huh. In the shortest amount of time and the easiest amount of work possible. But that doesn't sound very sporting, Aaron. Yeah, but... That doesn't sound but, very but hunter-like. But hold on a second. Hold on a second. Who is the arbiter of sporting and hunting. I, I would argue that the goal of hunting is to go kill an animal. If you're not doing that, then just go for a freaking hike in the mountains. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If that's what you want is to go experience nature and to be one with nature, then go for a hike or go for a ride. Uh-huh. If you're hunting, then the clearly and obviously stated goal is to kill an animal. And as an engineer, I'm going to find the best, most efficient way to kill an animal. So for me, why do I why do I go hunting? That's why. Why do people take long shots? Is cuz most of us are optimists. Half of us are optimists, half are pessimists. But isn't so maybe- there an isn't there an ethical question tied in with the idea of the optimism of taking a shot? And I guess that's the biggest question here, right? The, and this is where I think the majority of our conversation will lie is, here. there is a small minority, quite vocal, that believes long-range hunting, and we can get into definitions and semantics here quickly, not quickly, we can take our time, that long-range hunting is quote-unquote unethical. Why do we have to put the words long-range in front of it? Okay, so let's define that then. Let's, why don't we just, between you and me, let's define it. You know what? I, I, just, formulated, I just formulated a brand new personal position that there's no such thing as long-range hunting. It sounds like there's no such thing as trophy hunting. You're either hunting or you're not hunting. You're either hunting or you're on a nature walk. That's the definition. No, it's like people saying that we go to Africa to trophy hunt. Right? There's no descriptor of the action of hunting. So why, would, why do people then put the descriptor of long range in front of it? Well, here, let's, ba- let's back up a little bit and... Maybe let's maybe try to understand what's going on here because I think universally everyone that I know of that I've ever been exposed to, I I would wager would agree with me 
that we all have a moral obligation and duty to do the best that we can to make a one-shot kill and to harvest that animal as cleanly as possible. Why? Because of a... I think we have a relativistic um, moral code that places value on life. And while, you, you know, we're killing, we're, we're, we're going to do it in the most effective manner possible to, you know, honor that moral code and value that we have about the worth of life <laughs> and, and what the significance of taking a life. And, and I, I guess my point is, I think all of us can come to that agreement and we can meet at that one point. I totally agree. I think that all hunters would say that the moral obligation, the moral code, like you said, the moral code that places value on the life of that animal, i.e. you're saying, I do not want to in part any more pain or suffering or anything tied to that life because I value it that much. I would agree 100% of all ethical hunters, and I purposely use that adjective, well, follow I, that code. But, but even if we don't, let's say even if that code isn't followed, I believe, my, my point is, I think we would all agree to that code. Yeah, I, I, I think you've got some hunters that just like to kill things. Point sure, back. but do you, but but they they would, don't care how they do it. Potentially. I've seen some. I've seen some, and it was like. But I if don't you were gonna, if you were, if you were gonna have a talk around the campfire, would they disagree with with the idea of trying to make a good shot? The people that I reference that just like to kill things the way that I've seen them killed, they would not. But the people that we like to share campfires with would. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be the vast majority because I think it overlays with our Western, you could say, culture and value system that we have. I mean, a lot of it's based on Christianity, but even... Even some of the other religions would be there, but I, I think that we most of us share that familiar or agreeable sense point that we can we can kind of come to an agreement on. Now, <laughs> we might not want to share a campfire with those other guys, but what right do we have to impose our values on them? Well, it's not a right, but again, they're part of this hunting lifestyle. They're part of this hunting community that we are representing in, that we are represented of. And I don't want people that do not have that moral obligation representing me. I don't think they want you want them representing you either, if you're standing by this moral code. You know, I, I, uh, I'm going to land very, very libertarian. In our discussion today, yeah, Cody now, Heitschmidt, who's my uh, who's my counterpart, is a libertarian, saying, I, you know, everyone has their own right to do whatever they want, as long as they're not infringing on what I do. Hey, all good. Yeah. But I'm saying that your actions, regardless of what you're going to do, are going to impact me in the long run because of that moral code. Now, it doesn't. It, I'm not saying that we can't try to influence and guide and maybe show people the way that we do things and try to convince them that we have a great thing going and that they should want to be a part of it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But do I have the right to force them to believe and behave the way that I do? No, I agree. You cannot force anyone because to here's, believe. He, Here's how I see 
if if you if you start putting people in buckets, here's how I view people who are anti long range hunting. Yeah. I look at them as religious fanatics the same way that I view climate alarmists. Interesting. They have they have a view and they have this belief system that they've subscribed to and they they become so indoctrinated in this and so so powerful in their um, convictions that they're willing to impose their belief system at any cost and force others to believe and behave the same way regardless of any impact to freedom free agency choice hmm. etc Aaron where do you think that belief comes from their inability to hit the damn animal they've made bad shots before and have felt guilty about the carnage and disaster they've made it and now they have their They've turned that emotional reaction into this, you know, religious fervor that they now feel they need to spread to game and fish departments and regulations and, you know, uh, rule book standards and whatever. Aaron, do you think, though, there is a difference? And I think I know the answer, but I'm going to pose the question. <laughs> Do you think there's a quick difference between someone shooting an animal at 100 yards and, a, and someone shooting it at 600 yards? I believe so. I believe there is. My belief is that shooting at an animal at 100 yards has a very, very high risk of making a bad shot. I almost believe 180 degrees of the statement that the Boone and Crockett organization has made about long-range hunting. They believe not only is it not ethical to take a long-range shot, but they believe that it is unethical to hunt and kill an animal when that animal is not able to be aware of and escape from you, the hunter. So they're literally saying that you need to get close enough that you can scare that animal. Mm. And in my experience, I'm, I've probably killed over 500 animals, personally. Okay. So that's a good number. That's a mm -hmm. good number to start drawing some conclusions. I've probably made a few bad shots. I remember as a, as a young man, like before this, even, this concept of long-range hunting ever happened, I can remember making some bad shots. Did you get and pissed off when you made those bad shots? I I felt that same sense of inadequacy and shame okay. of wounding an animal, mm. you know, or or I I'm sure that those connections early drove me to part of my story to chase after this perfect shot, which is what my whole company's about, is the perfect shot. So, based on a moral code. Yes, for sure. One, one that I choose to adopt based on my reading and my understanding and my life experiences. But you've imbued Not, that into what you've built. This absolutely. Isn't just Aaron, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So I think that I think that those life experiences are there. So if you take my children when they learned to shoot and hunt, my goal was to find a five or six hundred yard opportunity. Why why would I have done that? Yeah, why would you not want to want them to get closer to become you know, closer to the animal, and I guess that's a that's a that's another Get sort of overarching question. And and do what? Make a bad shot, and experience that revulsion and and the disappointment of not being 
ultimately but why, successful. Why are you saying that a shorter shot is is a is you have more risk of creating a bad because shot at a shorter distance? The, because the animal can be aware. Because of human nature. Human nature is when you get close, you get more excited. Human nature is when you get close and you get more excited and then the animal is getting away, you force a shot. Human nature is there. Eh. I, it, I'm, a, I'm a data guy. What do you think the data would show as far as the number of animals that are wounded and shot poorly under 100 yards, between 500 and 800 yards, and say over 1,000? Which category of distance do you think, if everybody was honest in reporting, would report the highest number of wounded and poorly shot animals? I would say 500 to 800. I 100% disagree. I adamantly, vehemently believe in every ounce of my being, based on what I've seen personally. Now, I've shot 500 animals, take six kids that grew up hunting, put 10 animals on each one of those, like, there's another 60, go hunting with your buddies, like, there's another 100. I've probably seen seven or 800 animals die. And I've seen way more carnage close range than hmm. a distance. Do you think that, let's explore this a little bit more. If, just, if, just take this yeah. scenario, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At 500 yards, you could have a 10-mile-an-hour wind in any direction, and it's not going to push your bullet enough to cause a miss. So, I mean, 500 yards is a long ways, but it's not that far. With, if you just guess the direction of wind right, which most of us can do, like, you could have a 15, 18-mile-an-hour wind and still not miss the target. So at 500 yards... What you have is an animal that is unaware of the hunter, right? You're usually outside of their, their sight and smell, which is always the goal of a stalker is to avoid being seen or smelled. So <laughs> we're just going to use distance to, to, to make that work for us. So you take your 13-year-old your daughter who's never been on a big game hunt before and you move her into a position to shoot an elk and you're 500 yards away. And you've got a, a five-mile-an-hour breeze left to right, and you've done your shooting, your practice, so she knows how to hold, and you'll walk her through it. And, you know, she's not quite comfortable. You move her around a little bit. You make sure the gun is perfectly steady, right? You've got a good rest, a good back rest. And, again, she's, she's really, really green. So you've shot with her a lot. She's done really well. She's performed. But, again, she's not a pro. So mm. she's, she's susceptible to a hundred ways of making a mistake. So now I just controlled the situation where we have lots of time, where there's no pressure to take a shot in a hurry. There's no, there's no pressure to make a bad choice. There's absolute steadiness in the rifle. You know, you can be calm with the shooter. That you can be calm with the shooter so that you don't get them excited. And... Now the anim you wait for the perfect broadside shot, so you've opened your vital zone up as much as possible, and you wait till the body language of the animal says that you have the window, and now you might have a 10 or 15 second window to squeeze the trigger when everything's come together, and they execute the perfect shot. Animal goes down, right? That animal goes down, perfect shot, everybody's happy, like... The shooter, the huntress, the young girl, she feels validated. She feels like she wins, right? You have some period of time to walk up to that animal, right? It's not in the death throes anymore. Like Everybody thinks that you shoot an animal well, that it's instantly dead. Well, that's not true. It takes time for an animal to expire, period, even with mm. a perfect shot. The, the, the usual mode of expiration is exsanguination, which means it bleeds out and loses blood pressure, which does not happen instantly. So now we walk up to this animal, it's had time to expire. We get to the animal, you know, maybe you arrange it a little bit so it's not too bloody, and you, you take a moment to process the, the harvest and the kill. You talk a little bit about the animal, and you admire it, 
and you give her a chance to explore the way the hair feels and the way the eyes look and the horns and the texture and and she takes all that in guess what you just made you just made a lifetime member of our hunting society <laughs> contrast that with your you are stalking like everybody thinks you're supposed to be to be a true hunter through the brush and you get a chance at an animal that's 120 yards away which is really close and you've got a young hunter that is not an expert you know doesn't have great rifle control or the ability to understand how to position their body just right to get steady and so you put up a set of sticks and you throw the gun on there and you say it's right there and he and he can't fight it because he, the back end of his gun's loose and you're like it's right there can't you see it and you start putting pressure on him and then they start getting wound up right and then they're on the gun and then they finally see it and you say can you see it and they say yeah see it and you say shoot it shoot it it's going to get away and so hey. they just they're on yellow somewhere and they take the shot and they shoot it in the guts and then you spend all day tracking the animal and you have to shoot it again hey. like you cannot tell me that there's some arbitrary distance where this one is good and this one is bad because the outline I showed you at five to 600 yards, I repeated dozens and dozens of times with my kids and with first time hunters and inexperienced hunters and gave them success and, and 100% treated that animal with the respect that it deserves in its place in our lives and our society. <laughs> Aaron, is it, you know, it's, it's funny the way that you describe that. Would you argue also that potentially someone who is, uh, first, I will, I, will, I will agree with you to say that there isn't a magic number because when someone goes, oh, you know, taking a shot over 300 yards is quote unquote unethical. I'm like, oh, why 300? Is 290 okay, yeah. or 299 is okay, or 400? Like, why do you have, like, this number? Like, what, what's I the know. bloody, you know, there's no magic here. You're just making up a number. You're pulling it out of your butt, you know, kind of scenario. Do you think the long-range guys practice more? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I look at my customers, in general, my customers have embarked on a lifetime journey to be a perfect shooter. And again, that's tied to the moral code, right? The, they are practicing for a specific reason. Sure, but I don't read their minds. I don't know what their code is. But I will tell you that that the allure of making the perfect shot in and of itself drives people very strongly. I don't know if that's from Hollywood, or I don't know if it's, it's part of this moral code that we've talked about with the animal, but just the, the thought of, of shooting and hitting a target at distance will drive people to go shooting every weekend. And Do it will drive think... them to buy more guns and more ammo and to shoot more mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. learn about equipment and to study these techniques, and they become masters of this craft. Aaron, I know you, I, I'm, I'm pushing the boundaries here because you've said it twice to me already. I don't read people's minds, but I'm still going to ask the question because I think it's, it, it, it may be just an um, antagonistic question. Do you think people are buying long-range guns like a Gunworks rifle system so that it's easier to kill something instead of having to do the work? to get up and close and personal to an animal. So I go, I went, uh, I went sheep hunting and I spent nine months preparing. And I spent a few months trying to get into shape. <laughs> and I spent half a week, four or five days traveling to get to camp. And then from camp, we spent several more days traveling to find the animal. Hiking, horseback riding, everything. So I'm into this thing 10, 12 days. And we find a sheep, 
and we make a stock. We climb a mountain and we make a stock. And we, we do that again. And we find this one over here and we go look. And, and at the end of 10 days and passing some animals or, you know, not being able to quite close the gap. And, and finally, we have the perfect situation where we're able to, you know, from, a, from a, a, an undiscovered vantage point, shoot down into a bowl on some sheep. And we take a shot that's, that's like 700 yards and we kill a sheep. You're telling me that the value of that experience is lessened because we shot at 750 instead of 250. Mm-hmm. How, and I don't understand how. Like, where, where's the rationale behind that? I yeah, mean, I guess think, the of, rest- think of all the think of all the work and all the effort that went into that, and you're telling me the difference between it being ethical and not ethical is 300 more steps. Doesn't that seem silly? It's very arbitrary, that's for sure. Yeah. But, you know, so here's my thing, though. I don't impose my moral code on somebody else. Mm. My, my moral code is we strive for the perfect shot and we use the best equipment that we can come up with to do that. Where does that put every traditional bow hunter? Don't they do the same thing? They're not using the best equipment to kill an animal. They're, they're specifically choosing to use equipment that has a lower probability of a good shot for... And I, I'm not trying to impose... Like, of course. I'm not, yeah, I'm of not course. saying that... But maybe it's because they have an ego and they want to be some big shot image, right? They're, they've got a social media account and like that's their thing. You know, maybe, you know, yeah. Or to them, or to them, the moral code that we've discussed means getting as close as possible to that animal without scaring it. Yes, yes. Now that's true. That's fine. But why use a piece of equipment that is much less likely to put that arrow where it should go? Like, take that same hunter that gets within 20 yards. And instead of using his, his traditional longbow, he shoots a compound that has a nice sight on it where he can align the sights and put the pin on and pull the trigger. I would argue that that person shooting the longbow is absolutely, unequivocally unethical because he is deliberately choosing a lower hit probability in his equipment. I could argue based on the people that I know that are deadlier with a longbow Mm. than they are with a compound because it's actually the same thought process that your 500-yard shooter is going through in which the 20-yard compound bow hunter has only pulled his bow back, say, a dozen times and he goes into the woods. The trad bow hunter is the guy that's in the backyard slinging arrows 50 times a day, every single day. Yeah, Instagram shows us guys with crop compound bows doing the same thing. But my, po- my point, which, which <laughs> don't, try to, don't try to make another argument, my point is say, take the same guy with the same dedication and experience and put the compound bow with the peep sight and the pin versus the long bow and that person is more effective with the better equipment. I, I'm, te- I'm saying for that one person, he has made a deliberate choice to use a less True. effective method of kill. And that's, that's what I was saying. I find that slightly repulsive. Like, my whole focus is find the most effective equipment that eliminates as many variables as possible so that you've increased your chances of that perfect shot or that one-shot kill. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I was going to say, that leads me to my moral code for a shooting and how I determine whether or not you should take this shot. And that is based on the scientific concept 
of hit probability. And every single person in every scenario with, with every different piece of equipment is going to have a different hit probability. But there's something deeper behind the hit probability, Aaron. No, that's, that's what describes it. If you could take the idea that we all want a perfect shot and translate it into something that eventually we can measure or that we can teach or, or produce, it's going to be this term hit probability. And hit probability takes into account all the factors that affect your ability to put that bullet where it's supposed to go. <laughs> and oh, I get it. So here's my question. To take a shot, whether it's with a longbow or a compound bow or a rifle or a long-range shooting rifle, what is the hit probability that we as hunters should expect for the perfect shot? Does it have to be 100%? Here's the real, here is the real crux of the entire argument, is what is the allowable hit probability where that shot is ethical according to our moral standard of, you know, wanting to kill well, and it's not ethical? I think you would want that hit probability as close to 100% as you possibly can. However, that hit probability is going to be contingent on each individual. Each individual's practicing, their confidence, their, their physical ability, their mental ability, their mental acuity, their decision in the moment, which is probably the, the thing the decision in the moment to say, yes, I am, I am very confident in my hit probability to take the shot. And what we started this conversation about was, was the optimism of taking the shot, yeah. right? We need to lessen the optimism to become more probable. How do you lessen the optimism? By all the things I just discussed, all the things more, I just said. More shooting. More shooting. No, I would say more than that. More that, shooting, more shooting, confidence, shoot, physical shooting, acuity. Going to the range and shooting, setting up scenarios and shooting and failing. That is the best way for the light bulb to come on. That you, just because you can see it doesn't mean you can hit it. Aaron, I, I'm going to set you up on a, on a soapbox here, okay? So you can thank me later. Do you think that there's also a, a misconception, misperception, whatever you want to call it, around long-range hunting, sorry to use the descriptor, because the equipment wasn't good enough either? That resulted in bad shots. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. How many 25 to 35-year-olds do we have out there that are advocating against long-range shooting and hunting? Sorry, long-range hunting. I can't think of one. How many of them are over 55? They grew up without this equipment. <laughs> Different era. So let me ask this question. Because I've, and, uh, and I know because, and the thing I was going to say earlier is like you said, don't make an argument of this. I'm, you're the kind of guy who likes these kinds of arguments. Come on, Aaron. Let's, this let's one's be my honest here. This one's my favorite one because I'm right. And everybody that argues against me is wrong. So this is an easy one because I win no matter what. I'll have this argument all day long. Let me. Have you have you given some thought between the difference between effective and efficient? Uh, I.e., effective yeah. meaning probab hit probability. Efficient having a connotation of being easier. Yeah, no, I, I agree with those definitions for sure. Um, is, lo is what you produce at Gunworks something that makes you more effective or makes you more efficient? Well, I would hope it's both. Like the goal is more efficient. Efficiency, absolutely. I, I, we have, not, in the so, not in the definition of just what I've just said to make it easier. 
Hold on a second, why not? Why wouldn't you want to make it easier? Because that's you part wanna, of hunting. You, this is, hunting this is, is hard. Let, hunting, let me, let otherwise me, everyone let, would do it. Let me use an analogy. So this is the difference. So we're going to go show up the trailhead. And I'm not interested in making it easier. So I'm going to wear a pair of hunting boots. You want to make it hard. So you're going to do it like the old time, you know, old time people that roamed the earth before we had cobblers and shoes. And you're going to go barefoot. Like, and now it's going to be a real, real challenge. Isn't it silly? I hear you. I hear you. Now, again, if you want to go for a nature walk, then go for a nature walk. But if you want to go be successful at the endeavor you've chosen, which is hunting, whose stated goal is to punch your tag, mm-hmm. then why wouldn't you want to make it more effective? The whole, the whole evolution of hunting from the beginning of mankind until now has been one constant stream of, of change to make our hunting tactics and equipment more effective. So to try to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, pause, take the last 10,000 years and the momentum that we've built and just stop it right now. We've, mm-hmm. we've got all the effectiveness that we could possibly want. Don't do any more. What if the natural progression of things is that we're going to be hunting some crazy alien species on a, another planet, you know, <laughs> 5 million gazillion light years from now. And if we pause that progression right now, then we won't be prepared for that hunting safari in the future. You sound like the herbivorized guys that I had on a podcast called, they wanted to herbivorize all predators. And they're thinking 100,000 years in the future. <laughs> they want to put artificial meat on robots to let <laughs> cheetahs chase them instead of <laughs> antelope on the plains. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Um, let me ask this. So if we're making things more effective and people are getting more proficient and they are filling their tags more, doesn't that mean less hunting opportunities, Aaron? Okay, you are, you are getting to one of my favorite subjects to talk about and you didn't even prep me for it and I'm so glad that we've landed here. Let me, let me answer your question with a different question. If okay. you put in for a hunting license for 10 years, yep, you're going to go hunt a mule deer in the West. You've put in for 10 years. You finally draw this permit. You're going to do everything that you possibly can to kill that animal. Sure, sure. And, and you've invested the time to make this happen. How disappointed will you be to learn that the game and fish department specifically configures the season to to get the lowest harvest success possible so they can sell the most amount of non-resident hunting licenses possible and you're not effective and you don't kill an animal okay isn't that just a complete like I would say divergence from the way that we should be providing products and experience for people. And we say, we're going to create in this unit the opportunity to draw a tag and have the most awesome experience that you can imagine. We're going to have good animal um, density. We're going to have you know, great trophy potential. And we're going to make sure that you don't have a million people stacked on top of each other so you're not racing and fighting against others and so you, we're going to make this situation where we're trying to get a hundred percent harvest so that so that when you draw this tag you can have an awesome experience but, but that scenario is impossible and if no, it was no. possible if it was possible you'd have very very few tags and very few opportunities but again hold on a second if you want to just go for a hike, then put your backpack on and go for a hike. If you want to go hunting and be successful, then go where the opportunities are and where the potential for success is high. I, will, I live in Wyoming. I'm looking out my window right now, and I'm looking at two different mountain ranges that have elk in them. And I can go hunt in this range or in that range with a general tag that I buy for, I don't know, 40 45 bucks. 
But when I do that, what are the elk densities here? How many people are going to be there? What is the chance that that five or six days that I spend are actually going to yield a good result? I, I will never hunt with a general tag. I will wait three or four or five years and draw that special draw permit in our favorite area. And I'll go in there with my boys and we'll have a good time. We'll shoot an elk. We'll do the work. We'll pack it out. We'll come out with it and we'll eat it and we'll, and we'll have the experience. And instead of spending that four or five days every fall, I do it every four years. And I do something else on the years that I don't draw. <laughs> like that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, why do people think they have to hunt 20 different species or do 20 different hunts a year? If you're going to do that, go to Africa. There's lots of game. <laughs> Can't bring the meat home there. Yeah. Well, you can eat as much as you can stand while you're there. That's right. And all sorts of various dishes and even dried. So, yeah. Aaron Davidson, um, this is what I expected. I uh, I was excited for this conversation. I was excited for, you know, the long range, quote unquote, hunting. You know, there's certain subjects that get people riled up, like climate change, eh. like uh, like abortion. Uh, no, like, I would I wouldn't put long range hunting. If in you're those if you're if you're if you're in <laughs> India, that like eating beef. Yeah, I wouldn't put long range hunting in those categories. Come on. It's tame it to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> it's the same philosophy, though. It's it's people trying to impose their moral code and value system on others, which is the same exact thing that the leftist, socialist, people who will ruin our whole world try to impose on us. And every time I see that behavior in what should be right leaning people with conservative values it makes me sick makes me sad and i just hope that they can realize how evil and wrong it is to try to impose your value system on others but as you broke it down as you broke it down it for the vast majority the moral code is the same on the one thing which is we want to have an effective kill but we not value, on, but not values, on the rest of it. Not on the rest that of it. That places value on life. Sure, but literally Boone and Crockett's position is: if you don't get close enough to scare the animal, then you're not, you're not a moral hunter. Like that's that they're trying to impose that frame of reference, and I just told you with my kids how how evil and wrong that is. <laughs> like I created six. And now there's three more that are coming up. I've created six children <laughs> that believe that hunting is a good thing and they had good hunting experiences. Three of them are nuts about it. If I did it the way Boone and Crockett says, how many of them would have made it through the fire? <laughs> well put, well put. Aaron Davidson, I hope this is not the last time that we have you on the Blood Origins podcast. I'm sure... When something comes up in the future tied to long range or there's a, an example of an animal being killed or whatnot, um, we should have you on and uh, have a Glad little conversation it. about it. Glad to do it. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, my man. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.